previously on Dry Powder. We've completed or signed 18 monetization events. Robert Smith, the chairman and CEO of Vista Equity Partners, explained how he's been able to defy the down market and continue doing deals at an astonishing pace. Today on the show, I'll ask Robert to what extent AI is fueling his optimism. I will say it's probably the most meaningful technological advancement really since the migration to the cloud, which created that whole ability for access to computing capacity, which created a whole spur of productivity activities. And then we'll go back to Vista's founding. We'll see what it really means to create a learning culture of hard-won insights with a growing team. 85% of my VPs started as analysts or associates. Okay, so if you think about it, we grew them from the time they came out of college. I'm Hugh MacArthur, Chairman of Bain's Global Private Equity Practice, and this is Dry Powder. Robert, I really want to pick your brain in particular on a big topic, which I know that you've been spending a lot of time thinking about, and that's AI. Uh, We almost are obligated to talk about generative AI whenever we have any kind of an interaction with GPs these days. So the way I think about generative AI and all the conversations I've had about it it's generated this tremendous wave of enthusiasm among tech investors in particular, but really across the entire private equity industry and large parts of society, let's face it. That said, are we seeing the backside of the wave now? Has it crested or was this all overblown or do you think this is still the next big thing? It is the next big thing. It is going to be interesting to see how investors play it at a real high level There's going to be three waves of this. First, of course, the value is going to inure to the benefit of the hardware uh, providers, which you're saying. You know, the second wave, it'll inure to the benefit of the super scalers, right? So this will be the Microsoft's, AWS's, the Oracle's and Google's, et cetera. And then uh, Alibaba's and all those sort of folks. And then the third wave will ultimately be to those who are utilizing that capacity effectively in the markets which they sell their products. And that's going to be an enormous disruptive activity really across every industry. So it is going to play out over many, many years. I think he or she who gets there first will have a a short-term massive advantage. But then I think there's going to be an equalization over time. And it's just going to be a function of how people really take advantage of it. You know, we've been in machine learning and artificial intelligence for five, six, seven years. And many of our portfolio companies, companies like Stats Perform, for instance, we've been investing in AI to support our sports tracking analytics and pioneering many of the analytical methods for in sports for, you know, for six, seven years. And that's because of function, we have the largest sports database in the world, right? So I like to tell our portfolio companies, you know, first thing, you have to have sovereignty and dominion over your data. Uh, And then you can think about applications of various LLM models to leverage that, depending upon if you're creating new products, new solutions, or leveraging it to evaluate a competitive position. And what we've done, just to give you a sense, you know, I formed a Gen AI Council, which has, I think we now 14 or so of our CEOs who are all implementing solutions. And we have multiple subgroups that are focused on everything from leveraging it for product innovation, product uplift, portfolio enablement, risk readiness, all those sorts of things to evaluate the entire portfolio of Vista companies, kind of point one. And then how are we going to develop product solutions and services that we can deliver across each of those portfolio companies? Point two, we look at how do we leverage it to enhance our underwriting? Because it, of course, Gen AI becomes a risk for any company you're about to buy if it is occurring in their marketplaces and either if they're not the leaders and the followers or not touching at all. And how do you underwrite to that? How do you create frameworks and how do you establish best practices? And the underwriting is kind of the second piece of this. And of course, a third piece of it is how do we leverage it internally 
at Vista and, you know, using that to capture additional economic opportunity in our own infrastructure and the way that we deliver our best practices, the way that we enhance uh, the value creation across our portfolio companies. So it is a complex approach to what I think, again, is going to be a, a fundamentally disruptive technology across all industries, including the private equity industry. And if you haven't put thought into it and put structure around that thought and put you know resources around it, I think it can be it's going to be very challenging for one to to really participate in this market. Once this capacity, you know, the the GPU and TPU capacity is is available to the broader market, then you're going to see a massive, massive amount of innovation that can disrupt people's business models pretty effectively. So if I heard you correctly, AI is actually an investment tool in and of itself to help investors make better decisions faster. It is a productivity enhancer almost across the board in the portfolio for the investment process. You talked about that in a lot of different ways. But then thirdly, and interestingly, it also can be a game changer. I heard you talk about new products and services that your companies are going to be able to offer as a result of AI. And that to me is a really important one, right? If you're able to actually make customers happier, make them stickier, please them by having them buy more things that you're able to create faster that generate value for them, that really is a game changer. Right, right. And you have to have, again... You know, being an engineer, I, I like to think about processes, right? And and so, you know, we have always had a process that we bring our top engineers from all of our portfolio companies together in, in different formats. Some of our best practice sharing, some are hackathons, and we'll say, okay, we'll have two hackathons a year, one in, you know, someplace in the U.S. and one place in Asia, uh, and bring these top engineers together and we'll charge them with a, a task, Okay. Years ago, it was, okay, using machine learning, develop a new set of products and or it's, you know, artificial intelligence. Well, of course, now the topic is Gen AI. So we just had two just recently, last couple of months, and we have over 250 participants from, I think, almost, you know, over 30 companies, uh, multiple teams, and they compete and they come up with products. Well, the good news is when you do that, we're actually, you know, generating ideas, workflows, infrastructure that can be leveraged. Oh, that's a great go-to-market product for this one company that can be leveraged across 18 others, <laughs> right? Yep. And in building the infrastructure, leveraging our value creation team, they say, okay, now here's how we build the infrastructure with the superscalar partner uh, on their tools. And these superscalar partners actually participate with us. They actually bring their people, their capacity, because they want us to utilize their tools. So that's how we approach it so that we have systemic scale across our organization that creates, again, massive productivity on the one side, but the productivity often comes in building new products and solutions that we can now say, okay, here's additional value that we now can upsell into our customer base uh, across our, our entire portfolio of 80 plus you know, software companies. So that's how we approach it, but it takes a massive amount of energy effort and, and resources to do that. But I think, you know, long-term will capture what I call, you know, more than our fair share of the economic value that comes from this new tool being introduced into the marketplace. It makes a lot of sense. Now, Robert, you mentioned your engineering background, which means to me that you're very good at math. Um, I'm so good <laughs> at math. Bain has me doing podcasts. So I'd like to actually... I'd like to actually go back and have you talk about that background and let's go all the way back to Vista's founding mm-hmm. and tell us a little bit about how did you discover and develop this unique zone of expertise in enterprise software and make that happen? Yeah, I mean, it's so if you think about it, my life gets informed in some respects by my time as an engineer. You know, I, I like to tell people, you, you know, smart people are inherently lazy. <laughs> I say that with all love. What that means is they don't want to fix the same problem 
every single time. They want to fix the problem once and create what I call an engineered solution that now fixes it forever. You know, you make a design change, you're thoughtful about it, and then you're able to execute that, you know, and replicate it millions of times over. Well, back 30, 40 years ago, you know, when I was starting as an engineer, you know, we were implementing computing systems into plant processes and you'd implement the solution. And lo and behold, all of a sudden you got 30, 40% productivity in a manufacturing environment by moving away from manual analog controls to digital controls. And the way I really like to say it is, you know, when you're controlling a, a process, there's an episodic observation that occurs. And then there's an episodic intervention that is supposed to occur that actually brings the process under control. Well, what compute does is the episodic observation goes to 60,000 observations a second. And the episodic intervention goes to 60,000 observations a second. And so you should have a tighter control. And so all of the, as a math major, right, <laughs> everything under the line that you've now eliminated is waste. And so that creates productivity in the marketplace. Well, if you think about what we do at Vista is we evaluate enterprise software companies and figure out where there is waste. Where are they inefficiently approaching the market, inefficiently developing software, inefficiently you know, managing human resources, inefficiently pricing, inefficiently running those businesses, and implement process solutions in order for them to capture the economic rent in the form that was waste in the marketplaces in which they serve, okay? Back in my old engineering days, well, if you're putting a you know, process control in a system that's making PVC, then all of a sudden you're capturing 30%, 40% more value because you have less waste. Well, it's the same sort of thing. Now, how do you implement that? And how do you do it at scale? How do you do it not in one company and hope that that management team can do it, but how do you do it with 15 at a time and then 30 at a time and 40 at a time, right? And so that's the process that we apply to every one of the companies. And it just comes back from being informed on, Enterprise software is the most productive tool introducing our business economy across every segment, every structure. And so now, how do you do that in a systemic way where you can do it with at size and scale, of course, utilizing capital, and then capture that value for what are our ultimate stakeholders, which are, you know, pensioners, you know, and teachers and firefighters, police officers, those sort of folks who, who frankly, we can help with their retirements by, you know, by investing in this uh, efficiently. So that's really what it's informed by. That's really an incredibly specific insight that you had, that you've managed to scale now to well over $100 billion of assets under management. How do you actually go from where you started to $100 billion? What is that story? Yeah, step by step, right? <laughs> brick by brick. A lot of steps. Yeah. And, you know, it's people. You know, I've been fortunate that those in our organization who really understand what I just explained, you know, I, I give a talk at the beginning of our analyst and associate class, I call it the four legs of the stool. Um, and it really talks to why we do what we do. You know, it, it talks to, you know, what's the economic rent that's created by software? How do you capture that economic rent? How do you do it systemically? How do you do it at scale? And then how do you do it in a repeatable fashion? And those who get that and understand that, figure out what their role is in that construct. You know, our investment people which we now have, I think, almost 200 plus investment folks uh, in our organization. And what's astounding about that, if you think about it, you know, 95% retention rate of my VPs and above, right? They believe in the model, they understand it, 
And 85% of my VPs started as analysts or associates. Okay. So if you think about it, we grew them from the time they came out of college, right? And helped them understand that how you can actually, you know, create this culture of excellence and high performance and underwriting of what I call critical factors for success being under our control and building and create a meritocracy such that those who are performing well can excel well, right? And that's part of the culture of VISTA. So there's that. And we've got a value creation unit, which has to constantly evolve because the technologies that we're using and utilizing has evolved. And we're using different sets of best practices than you know, what we had, you know, 10 years ago and even five years ago, and of course, you know, 15 and 20 years ago. But we have to have an organization that has to have the ability to evolve to now, you know, inculcate what are the newer technologies. Today, it's Gen AI. You know, years before that, we were talking about how do you ensure that we are building out the right infrastructure for cybersecurity, right? Which was the big risk we all still have, but, you know, it's an important component to do it across all the portfolio companies. But that is all part of the virtual love of expanding a business. And you get growing pains along the way, and certain people only come to a certain capacity, and they can't extend beyond that. And you have to bring in folks who can actually think beyond you know, a 5 or 10 or 30-company portfolio and say, how do you now scale to a 50-company you know, portfolio or a 100-company portfolio? And what are the infrastructure, just like what we bring to our companies, how do we mature our corporate infrastructure to support that growth? Going from, you know, single points to teams and committees and, you know, executive committee, private equity management committees, all those sorts of things that help you expand ultimately your capacity for execution while yet not changing your underwriting standards, but changing components of the underwriting through the value creation, critical factors for success being under our control. So, all that's part of growing a business, and I call it that. That is the joy of this, and that is what creates the, the the love and excitement of being a steward of this business at this time. It's an incredible twenty plus year track record, really on every dimension. And I love the fact that you really finished on talent and the importance of people and the importance of retaining very talented people in an agile environment in a changing world. It really is an incredible story when you put it all together, Robert. Thank you. I'd be remiss though, because I am a consultant by nature and we have to be skeptical and we have to worry about things because that's what consultants do yeah. to ask you, what are some of the challenges that you see going forward to keep this whole thing going, whether we're talking about Vista mm-hmm. or investing in the enterprise software space? Yeah. I mean, so like all things, you know, you, you have to continue to invest in people their capabilities. And in many cases, you've got to figure out, you know, when and where do you call people out of the organization who no longer can scale and create opportunity for, for younger folks in the organization? And that's that's a challenge that every business faces. You know, when we buy a company that's doing $100 million in ARR and we're saying, you know what, this has a potential based on the ROI, based on, you know, the, the product set, based on the TAM to be a $400 million ARR company or a billion dollar ARR. In some cases, that means, you know, CEO now needs to become chairman and no longer CEO. That's part of growing. And that's frankly also part of the journey. And, you know, how do you identify those people who can scale these businesses? How do you invest in their growth? Things that keep you up at night are, are we investing enough in our people's development? Do they understand enough about the impact of Gen AI? So that's why I have a bunch of subcommittees across my investment team to 
understand it in ways that they can bring it to the underwriting of these companies and bring it to our analysts and associates so that they're now saying, okay, now I see the impact and implication of this new technology in the space that we're investing in, which will hopefully keep us on the leading edge of being the best investors in this space and prevent us from making investments in spaces that Gen AI might, you know, obliviate that whole <laughs> that whole marketplace. So it's the investing. That's the hard part, investing in the people uh, to ensure that you're building their capabilities. And part of investing in the people is making room for people to expand and grow in the organization. And, you know, again, sometimes that means people who've been with you for a while no longer can be in those roles, they have to be in different roles or, you know, doing something differently than what they've been doing for years. So that's part of the process of growth, part of the process of what I think, you know, will keep us thriving as an organization decades beyond, you know, this conversation today. Well, Robert, I thought I was going to learn a lot today, and uh, I certainly wasn't disappointed. Uh, I did, and I'm sure tens of thousands of our listeners learned quite a bit, too. I really want to thank you for stopping by the show. It's been a tremendous experience. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I look forward to uh, seeing you sometime in person soon. I'm Hugh MacArthur. Thank you for listening. 